0: Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to another Deep Rooted podcast. We're going to be going into another message today taken from yesterday's Sunday service. Uh, This was a good one. We're talking about the full armor of God, how to withstand the wiles, the tricks, the deception, whatever you might call it, from the enemy, how to stand strong in the evil day, Uh, This is going to be a good message. I believe it's going to encourage you to keep fighting the good fight of faith and to get to the end of the other side strong. Amen. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Before we do so, I want to thank every single partner, everyone who gives, everyone who supports this ministry in our church. Uh, We appreciate you. We love you. And uh, if you want to start your giving journey with us today, you can do so at deeprooted.church slash give or you can text to give, just text any dollar amount to the number 84321 and you can start your giving journey there. But let's go ahead and jump in today's message entitled Armed for Total Victory. I heard about this young man, he was a huge football fan. He bought two tickets to go see the Super Bowl months ahead of time, not realizing it was gonna be the same day of his wedding. He paid $2,000 each for those tickets, and he put an ad on Facebook asking if anyone would like to go in his place. He said, it'll be at three o'clock at First Baptist Church, and her name is Tiffany. (laughs) If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. I got a word in my belly. And I'm gonna give it to you because it is good. It is a good word. I have never preached on this before. And today I will because it's so good. Ephesians chapter 10. uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, If you're writing notes today, today's message is called Armed for Total Victory. Armed for Total Victory. One person likes that one. Armed for Total Victory. Have you ever been told that Complete victory in the Christian life isn't achievable. Yep. Anyone ever told you that before? Or maybe you heard it in a church that, that receiving full victory in Christ isn't actually attainable until we all get to heaven. What a day that will be. The sweet by and by. No, it's not the sweet by and by. It's not pie in the sky while we wait. It's steak on the plate while we wait. Amen? Oh, yeah. it, it's, we can experience full victory in Christ right here. And right now there's some of you who might be thinking well my life is living proof that that's not real well my life is living proof that that is real (laughs) so which one are we gonna are we gonna argue over see the reason why people don't believe that we can uh, experience the full victory that God has given to us is because we have a, a real factor and a real enemy called the devil who is trying to deceive you into thinking you cannot have true victory. Well, we have uh, our small groups, like I said, coming up, and and I really encourage you to join those because we're talking about the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. Um, And this is the most foundational messages and parables that Christians need to understand because one of the, the points that Jesus makes in the parable is that there are Christians who receive God's word as truth and they love it, they come to church and they they take it home and they're excited about it, but then the Bible says because persecution and affliction comes for the word's sake, immediately they are offended or they begin to stumble. The King James says offended. That word offended translated into the Greek means, it means to cause someone to stop trusting the one person that they should trust. To cause to offend or to cause to stumble is to make someone stop trusting in the one person that they should be trusting. It's like taking a child and deceiving that child to stop believing that their parent want what's best for them. The one person that they should trust over everyone else now they cannot trust them because some exterior circumstances happened, some external thing took place, and now it told them, I cannot trust my parent. That's what the devil is doing to Christians worldwide, is he's getting them into of circumstances and, and situations and saying, if God really loved you, then why did this happen? And he's causing those Christians to stop trusting in God. They may not de- uh, renounce their faith. They may not say, I don't want anything to do with God anymore. But what they do say is, you know what? I, I know God's good, but the moment you put a but after that is when you've been deceived. Yeah, amen. The moment you say, God's been good to me, but this happens. God's been good, but this God can heal, but this and that. When you do that, that just tells me that you don't understand that God His true character. You don't understand the true nature of our Lord and Savior. And so that's where the enemy has a lot of Christians. So I believe, through Scripture, we can be armed for total victory. And the key, if you would believe it, is in the Bible. It's right here. If you want to understand how to get a total victory in life, just read the Word, and it'll show you. Amen? So Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Whose might is it? Yours? It's his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Someone say power. power. That word power is translated Dunamis dunamis power where we get the word dynamite dynamo it's explosive power it's very strong and that's the power that we're supposed to be living in and it's not our power the power of his might and also says be strong in the lord not in yourself be strong in the lord and in the power of his might let me ask you a question which is better being weak or being strong This isn't a trick question. Being weak or being strong, really? Is it better to be weak in a fight or be strong in a fight? Is it better to be weak in knowledge or strong in knowledge? Is it better to be weak in health or strong in your health? Strong is always better. Uh, Strength will always triumph weakness, no matter what circumstance. You know, sometimes we have these boxers, and some boxers are more heavier than others, and some are lighter than others. And there's advantages to both. Uh, But strength will always triumph over weakness. Those weaker boxers can't use strength to their advantage. They have to find something else. They have to use their brain maybe, or they have to strategize or be on the defense the whole time and and not be in front of them to take those punches. They're they're running away from the fight. You know, take it or leave it. I don't like Floyd Mayweather. I never liked him as a boxer uh, because he didn't box. He ran away all he did he ran away and he he created that whole boxing strategy of running away and not fighting that's how he won a lot of his fights now granted he had a couple of knockouts but only a couple now you get a real boxer like Mike Tyson who knocked out more than half of his opponents that's real strength right there strength will always triumph weakness so it's better to be strong than it is to be weak amen, amen. be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. You know why Paul says put on? It's because you have to actually do it. Becoming saved does not automatically grant you the armor of God as a default clothing. You have to put it on, you have to make sure you're doing things that. Put on the armor of God. Because if you don't, you won't have it on. You have to put on the armor of God. And this is why. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, so you can stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what that word wiles means? Trickery. trickery, The cunningness of the enemy. the, The deceitfulness that the serpent had in the garden when we put the whole armor on we can withstand his deception we can withstand his trickery you know the devil has no power no real power he has power that you give him he can't force you to do anything he can't make you do anything he only does what we give him authority to do so and i love that because it it doesn't say put on the whole armor of god so you can stand against the power of the devil he says, put on the armor of God so you can stand against the tricks of the devil. Because that's all he has. He, all he has is deceit, deception, trickery, cunningness, craftiness. That's all he has. Uh, don't underestimate that because it's fooling a lot of Christians. That's why we need armor for this. Amen? He said, put on the whole armor, not just a piece of it. What we have today are Christians walking around with the helmet of salvation, not only, but the rest of their body is naked. What Christians do is we get the helmet of salvation. We put it on. What does that mean? I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm a Christian. And we stop there. That's it. And we have the helmet of salvation on. But did you know that there is more to overcoming the devil than just salvation? There's more to overcoming the devil than just your salvation. Your salvation grants you access to the kingdom of heaven the moment you die. And if you don't understand that you need more than just the helmet, you'll get there a lot quicker. You'll get there a lot quicker. So hold your finger here in in Ephesians. I'm gonna turn to Galatians. And I'm gonna read out of the King James Bible. This is the one that Paul wrote. In Galatians chapter one, it says, grace be to you, do we have Galatians on the screen? We don't have it. It says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil evil world, not the evil world to come, not the one that comes during the tribulation. This present evil world is the one that Jesus came to deliver us from. Amen? Amen. So salvation is not just about the future. It's not just about going to heaven. Salvation is effective right now in this life too. The word deliver there where he says he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us means to pluck out or to rescue, to take someone out of a situation. That's what he came to do. Uh, In Acts chapter 12, you see the same word. It says when Peter was come to himself, he said, now... I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod. Acts 23, this man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed with, of them. But then I with an army came and rescued him, having understood he was a Roman. So that same word delivered is used in that same, those two scriptures about rescuing someone out from a bad situation. That's what Jesus came to do to rescue us, to deliver us, to take us out of this present evil world, the evil that is happening right here and right now. Amen? Amen. And and you know that Jesus didn't just want to take you out of the world because we have a job here. We have a job to do. We have a mission to fulfill. We have a role to, to, to fulfill. We have responsibilities As believers, as children of God, we have a role to accomplish on this earth. So no, God's not going to just take us from the earth, but he's going to take us from the evil. He's going to protect us from the evil that is in this world. Amen? Amen. In Romans chapter 6, it says this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Amen. The law of the spirit made me free from the law of sin and death. The point of the gospel of grace is a rescue and a deliverance from the hand of sin. That's the point, that Jesus came to rescue us from sin and death. Do you believe that this morning? That is the gospel. However, let's keep reading. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. And you're still over in Ephesians. We're just going over here for a second. The sting of death is what? Say it again. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Someone say the law. law. So we're going to do some math right now. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. So what gives death its power? Sin. So sin gives death its power. What gives sin its power? The law. See, the law wasn't created so you can keep it. The law wasn't created so that you can be good. The law was created to show you how dirty and evil and sinful you were. It was not meant for your redemption. It was not uh, meant for your salvation. It was meant to show you how bad you were and that you did need a Savior, in fact. It was not there to give you grace. It was there to give you condemnation. So the law strengthens sin, and sin is the sting of death. You following me? In Colossians 2.14, this is what it says. He canceled. Someone say canceled he canceled the record of charges against us, aka the law, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So Jesus didn't abolish it. Jesus didn't forget the law. He fulfilled the law. How did he fulfill it? By being perfect, being sinless, never committing a sin ever in his life. And then he nailed it to the cross as he was crucified, saying it's done, it's finished. So we're going to put it all together. If the law was nailed to the cross and sin gave death its power and the law gave sin its power and the law was fulfilled, then does death have any strength anymore? No. Don't you love the Bible? We're in Bible study today. So death has no power because sin was dealt with, because the law was fulfilled, because Jesus fulfilled it. So you got to backtrack a little bit. It's like Star Wars almost. You you watched episodes four, five, and six, but then they made one, two, and three to get the backstory. See, we, we start with death has no power, but we have to go back. Why doesn't death have power? Well, because sin is no longer effective, why isn't sin effective? Because the law was fulfilled. Well why was the law fulfilled because of Jesus. It's the good news. That is the gospel. And in, in fact, Paul, I believe in Galatians, he gets so strict about this, and he talks about, if anyone preaches a different gospel other than this, let him go to hell. That's what he was saying. Anyone preaches any other type of gospel than this gospel right here, he is accursed. This is not, that that is not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of grace and that, the gospel of grace and only the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel of condemnation. That is included if you want to get back that far in telling people you need a savior, but that's not the gospel in and of itself. That's not the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is grace. That is, that's what it encompasses. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So after all of that's done, go back to Ephesians. Flip back there. Ephesians chapter six, verse 11. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. So you will be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. So again, the devil has no power over us. The devil has nothing that he can do to us except deceive us and trick us. And death has no power, sin has no power, the law has no power, so we are free people. So what do we have to defend ourselves from? The trickery of the devil. That's all he has. I wanted us to understand that, that that's all he has. He doesn't have any other power other than trickery because Jesus defeated sin and death through fulfilling the law. So God told us to use his power and to use his might and to put on his armor. Amen? Amen. I want you to see something on the screens with me. If you you can put that picture up. What is that? So we got three different helmets here. The one on the far right is what's closely resembling to Roman uh, Roman armor. If you ever watch the Passion of the Christ or the Chosen, you'll see the Romans wearing that type of armor. Now, what's the one in the middle? Anyone know that one? Spartans, Spartans Greek. It's Greek armor. Well, if we look at the backstory, and we look at at, at what, when Ephesians was written, it was written later in, in around 60, 62 A.D. So scholars believe. And Paul made multiple journeys to Ephesus, which was heavily heavily Greek-cultured. Had a mixture of Roman culture, but it was heavily Greek-cultured. And so he would use Greek and Roman illustrations often in his writings to get people to understand what he was trying to say. How many of you know that, that a message is not effective if it's not understood by the audience? You have to tailor the audience to the or tailor the message to the audience don't change the message you just tailor it so that they can understand it that's why we have kids church kids church if they get taught don't cheat on your spouse because it's not good they're not going to understand that they don't have a spouse but what you can can teach them is be faithful don't cheat on your math test or or don't steal from someone you can teach them those fundamental things They'll understand those. And so Paul would use these type of illustrations to relate to the people and help them understand that. Uh, And I want to look at this Greek armor for a second. The helmet, the helmet of salvation. God said, and you don't have to put it on the screen, but God said, or Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. So whose armor is it? It's God's armor. Um, And you're in his power, and you're in his might, correct? Is anything yours? No. Nothing is yours. So if you're wearing his armor, if you're dressed like God and you fight like God, the devil won't be able to tell a difference between God and you. The devil can't tell whether or not it's God or you behind that armor, especially if you're wearing one with that kind of helmet. Your face is covered. You don't, he don't know who you are. See, I was trying to get a better illustration, but most of the the helmets that I like are the medieval helmets, the one with the little small sliver of opening right there. But that didn't relate because it's way past the time of Paul. So Paul didn't know what medieval was. But this was the closest uh, armor to this time period that I could find that completely covers the face. And so if you're dressed just like God and you're acting just like him, The devil cannot tell if it's you behind the armor or if it's God behind the armor. You know what will give you away? Actions of doubt. Actions of unbelief. That's the only thing that will give you away. There's a story in in the Bible. These people were trying to cast out a demon. And the demons answered back and said, we know Paul... And we know Jesus, but who are you? I don't know who you are. See, they were acting with a different authority. They didn't have that authority that God gave them because they didn't know that authority. If we are dressed like God and with His authority, and we act like him in his power and in his might, there is no difference to the devil. Amen? In verse 12, it says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, he says it again, take up the whole armor, not a piece of it, not just the helmet of salvation, but the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. How many of you know today we are living in an evil day? If you don't know that, you are deceived. We are in an evil day. Right is becoming wrong. Wrong is becoming right. All these places and people are trying to indoctrinate us and our children into these evil demonic uh, agendas. There is an evil thing happening in the world right now. And it's so evil, people are so confused as to what's right and what's wrong. That's how evil it is. And so this armor, it protects us So we can withstand in the evil day. So we can get to the end of our fight. We can get to the end of our race. And God can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We can say, I finished the course. I ran the race. I didn't quit. I was able to withstand the evil day. If you think it's bad right now, it's going to get a lot worse before we know it. So we need this. But it also says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So in the midst of this evil... Our fight isn't against the people who are trying to initiate this evil. Our fight is not against people. Our fight is not against our governors. It's not against our presidents. It's not against our congressmen and congresswomen. That's not our fight. Although there there is a part to play in that, that's called voting and called being educated and called making right decisions. There is a part to play in all of that. But our fight is not to ridicule and to cast stones and to be mad at people. Do you want to know why? They don't know better. They're lost. Lost people do lost people things and if we get mad at them for doing what they're expected to do we're no better than them that's not our fight and again i'm wearing my american flag today i'm i am gonna get political when i need to get political i will vote when i need to vote i will do what i need to do to stand up for what's right amen Amen. but our fight is not with people It's against the influence that's behind the people. You say that now, but wait until I get a little further in my message. See, you have to understand persecution and and all this, this garbage happening comes from demonic influence. That's it. If you understand that, then you'll be golden for a good, a good amount of time. Persecution comes from demonic influence. Getting mad at the person and putting them in their place does not solve the spiritual issue behind the attack. It never will. It never has. You might make it stop temporarily, but all you've done is you've humiliated a person that God loves. We're not fighting people. We're fighting the spiritual issues behind the attack. There was this one minister who was cornered by Inside Edition, and they asked him, do you, do you, he doesn't fly in commercial airlines anymore, he has his own uh, plane, and one of the reasons why is because he doesn't like being in those airplanes with, with demons in them. You ever seen those videos? You ever seen videos of, of people just going ballistic on airplanes, and freaking out, and having these huge, huge episodes, and making everyone feel uncomfortable? That's a demonic influence. That is demonic. The people aren't demons, but there's a demonic influence behind the people. And that's what he was saying. And there she was like, so you're, you're, you're saying that you don't go on commercial airlines because you don't like all the demons you have to sit next to and all that stuff? That's not what he was saying. It's the people, the influence that's behind that. I don't want to sit in a room full of people who are like that either. Especially for a six-hour flight. No way. And that's what we have to understand. It's not people that we're against. It's not communities we're against. It's influences, demonic influences that are behind the people, and that is what the armor of God is there to protect us from. Amen. Yeah. You don't have to turn here, but go to John 1836 on the screen, it says this. Jesus answered and said, "My kingdom is not of this world. if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not." Here, let me just debunk something for you really quick. Jesus was not against physical battles. Oh, but he said, turn the other cheek. Don't take things out of context, please. You take the text out of the con and all you're left is with con. That's it. Jesus was talking about spiritual issues because his kingdom was not a physical kingdom. Was it not? No. And that's what the Jews were all upset about because they thought they were gonna, he was going to make an actual kingdom. But he wasn't. He was making a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom in heaven. And so he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, what did he say? My disciples would fight. If it was a physical kingdom, my disciples would be fighting you and they'd be winning. And you can see this all throughout Scripture. Jesus was not against that. He was not against physical battles. Uh, One of the big tells that you can see in Scripture is because all of his disciples carried swords. Why would they need swords if Jesus did not want them to engage into any physical conflict whatsoever? When Peter cut off the ear of the soldier or whoever the kid was, did Jesus say... Peter, how dare you go throw that sword away and never use it again? What did he say? What did he say? Put it back in your sheath, Peter. Now is not the time. Put it back. He did not condemn Peter for using it. He condemned Peter in the way he used it, why he used it. It was the wrong time, the wrong moment. There's going to be a day where Jesus comes back and he's going to establish his kingdom here physically, and there's going to be a physical fight with physical battles. It'll be over in a heartbeat, but it's a physical battle. So Jesus wasn't against that. Uh, contrary to what a lot of people say, he wasn't. And there's, there's times for this. If someone attacks you for being a, for spiritual reasons, like being a Christian, you don't need to fight that battle with carnal physical means. That's not how you solve the issue. However, if someone attacks you for carnal purposes, like trying to steal your wallet, you have every right and every authority to defend yourself with physical means. That is biblical. I don't, it's not my message today, but it is biblical. Maybe we'll talk about it some other day. And then I'll see you out in the parking lot. But we got to stop misusing the scripture. The, The the Bible doesn't condemn physical battles. There's a lot of physical battles in the Old Testament that God ordained for godly purposes. Amen? Amen? But we need to understand which is spiritual and which is carnal. What fight is carnal and what fight is spiritual? Which one do we partake of right now? So the full armor of God consists of seven things. Some say six, but my Bible says seven. In Ephesians chapter six, we're gonna keep reading. Verse 14, therefore, uh, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's stop there. So number one, the first item that is on the list is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Back in the day, men would, would wear long robes. And it said to gird up your loins would mean if, if my belt was here, I would grab the bottom of my robe and I would tuck it in, I'd grab from the behind and tuck it in almost like a diaper and tuck it into my belt so that I could run. I could engage in battle without my robe tripping me up. That's to gird up your loins, be ready for combat. Now the belt was not a belt like this. It wasn't to hold up their pants. Their belt, anyone know what it was for? To hold their shield or hold their sword, the place for them to sheath their sword. So, the belt of truth is the first thing. And if we don't surround ourselves with, with truth, we entangle, we will get entangled in webs of deceit and webs of lies, and we will fall. We need to be surrounded and protected by truth. What is the truth? The Word of God. The word of God is truth, Jesus is truth, the Holy Spirit is truth. So number one, the belt of truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. This was the most important piece of armor to a Roman soldier. The the breastplate protected all the vital organs from being cut, from being severed or punctured. If you didn't have the breastplate, you were very vulnerable to, to, to dying on the battlefield. Just like it was important to the Roman soldiers, our breastplate of righteousness needs to be the most important thing about us. Now, here's two things about righteousness that you need to know. Number one, there is a God-righteousness imputed unto you at salvation. You are now righteous. You are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? You are righteous, and and that righteousness is grace-based. It's not performance-based. It has nothing to do with how good you are, but how good he is and how he bestowed that upon you. Amen? That righteousness gives you access to God's throne, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and communion with the Lord. But secondly, there is another righteousness that we all need. You know what that is? It is a self-righteousness. Now, I've condemned this for a long time, and I still do. But we do need a self-righteousness to relate to each other. Your self-righteousness does not change how God sees you and how God deals with you and what God thinks of you. In fact, Paul says, Paul was one of the greatest men to live on the earth. He, he had so many accolades to him, to the equivalent of doctorate degrees today, master's degrees, all of these degrees that men have today, Paul would have them. And he said, if you think your accomplishments are great, mine are greater. All of my accomplishments are greater, but I count them as dung. I don't count them as anything compared to what I've achieved through Christ. And so Paul, what he was saying is, in my right standing with God, my accomplishments means nothing. My righteousness is nothing. But Having a self-righteousness is good to relate to other people. Here's an example. You're speeding through Mooney, going 80 miles an hour. The cop pulls you over and you say, I am the righteousness of God through Christ. He don't give a rip about that. He's going to give you a ticket. Why? You weren't self-righteous. You were not self-righteous. That's the issue. If you were self-righteous, you wouldn't be getting that ticket. Someone say amen. So there is a, a... Factor of self-righteousness that we need to have has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. But everything to do with our relationship with people. We need both of them. A God-righteousness that gives us right standing with God. And a self-righteousness that gives us good standing with people. Amen? Amen. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Verse 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation. I love that. The preparation of the gospel of peace. That's the third item, the shoes of peace. How many of you know that, that, that shoes, the right shoe for the right setting, are important? Yes. And all the ladies said amen. How many of you ladies have ever tried to wear stiletto heels on wet, damp grass? Mm. How many of you men have tried hiking in the mountains with some flip-flops? We got one crazy person. We'll pray for you later. <laughs> the right shoe for the right setting are important. Amen. Amen. This is referring to the gospel of peace between God and mankind. Not, not peace on earth and saying, peace, oh, peace, let's just all coexist. No conflict between us. Let's just all get along. I come with the gospel of peace. That's not what it is. The gospel of peace is is presenting the gospel that you and God are good, that mankind and God are in right standing, that there is peace between God and man, that the war is over, that there is no more conflict. Amen? Amen? That peace, knowing that you and God are tight, you and God are good, there is no more conflict, that peace will keep you going. The shoes of peace. If you don't have the shoes of peace on, you have the shoes of strife on. Yep. And, and how many of you know that peace is way more valuable than strife? Man, yeah, yeah. Peace is more valuable than stress. In fact, when things are peaceful, things get done quicker. Yep. <clears throat> when things are peaceful, things get done quicker. know, I don't have this for you to read, but in the Living Bible translation, it actually says, having put on the shoes of peace so you can get through your journey quicker. Having the right shoe is important. You know, I forget which emperor, emperor it was. It was, a, it was a Roman emperor. And uh, I forgot who he was. But he was known for um, being great on the battlefield, having great strategy with his soldiers. And what he did was he implemented shoes for his soldiers. They were like sandals but they were very thick soles with spikes on the bottom so they could have traction. And one of their, their biggest strength was being able to move from point A to point B quicker than any other enemy. And so they were able to flank people quicker. They were able to blindside other people quicker because they had the right shoes on. See, the right shoes for the right setting are very important. So Number three are the shoes of peace. In verse 16, we'll keep reading. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with you, uh, with which you will will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Someone say all the fiery darts. darts. Not some of them, all of them. In other words, total, complete victory. All the fiery darts. Now it says above all, meaning people think that it means the most important of all is, is the faith, the shield of faith, which I disagree with. Above all means over everything. So if you have this shield, back in the day, they had two types of shield. One was a very small one, so you can wield the shield and wield your sword at the same time. The other one was about two and a half feet by four feet long. And what this one would do, all the, the soldiers would line up together, and they would get their shield and form a wall so no one could penetrate it. And they would also lift it up so that none of the fiery darts could penetrate the soldiers. What they would do, the fiery darts, if you don't know, these were one of the most advanced weapons back in this day. They would dip their, 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 their arrows in linen, and, and they would get that with something that could light on fire, and they'd light it on fire, and they would shoot these arrows because all the soldiers would wear linen undergarments, and if that, that arrow would get to that linen, it would catch the whole thing on fire. It was devastating. So these shields would block All of the fiery darts from head to toe. And if all the people would gather together and lift their shields accordingly, they could create this dome, this protection, this fortress to where no fiery dart could penetrate whatsoever. So that's why I don't believe it's talking about above all. This is the most important. But protecting you above all, protecting all of your being, have this shield of faith. Now, what is the shield of faith? What is the the amplified version says lift up all the covering shield of saving faith. You see, I can have faith in a piece of cardboard that looks like a chair, and I can have faith that that thing is going to hold me up. But every single time I sit down on that cardboard chair, what's going to happen? I'm going to fall every time. It does not matter how much faith I have in that chair. What will that chair never do for me? It'll never hold me up. See, it's not faith. It's the object that you place your faith in that matters. If we place our faith in Jesus, if that object of our faith is Jesus who never fails, who's already won the victory, then we don't have to worry about failed results. It's not faith. It's not just faith that that matters. Above all, put on faith. We'll have faith for everything. No, 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 no. Just slow down, Jethro. Just think a little bit. It's faith in an object that matters, not just faith. You need to know, is this something I can put my faith in? And if it's Jesus, what's the answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Every time. He's never, he's never fallen through. He's never failed. He's never disappointed me. That faith is Jesus. And it says that our faith will quench all the fiery darts. Again, that is total, complete victory. Amen? Placing faith in Jesus is total Victory, complete victory. It doesn't allow for the fiery darts to come through. It is a complete covering, a complete victory. So that's the fourth item. And here in First John, it says this. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Someone say, that's me. That's me. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our Faith is not on the screen. We don't have it on the screens. I thought we had it on the screens. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. If we don't place our faith in Jesus, we don't have victory over the world. We don't have victory to overcome the evil day. We need to place our faith in Him. In verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this one has two of them. Number one, or the fifth item, is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Do you know why a helmet is important when you go into battle? The helmet protects soldiers from the deadly blows to the head. If you don't have a helmet, you're susceptible to taking one bad shot to the head and you're done. Why do football players wear helmets? To protect their head. Your head's important. Your your, your head controls, it it, it protects your mind. It protects your brain. And what what he's saying here is that we can't have victory unless we protect our mind with God's word. If our head is not protected with the word of God, if our heart isn't protected with the word of God, if we don't protect this and keep this sacred... Then, then we're going to lose the, the battle every single time because the enemy's going to try to come in and deceive us. He's going to trick us into thinking something different than what God has said for us. So we need the helmet to protect us. But also, the helmet of salvation. This part, the salvation part, isn't only and just going to heaven. It's not just... About going to heaven someday and experiencing life with Jesus in heaven. Salvation is for here and it's for right now. Amen. Yes. It's for us to experience right here and for us to experience right now. Amen? Amen. Yes. The sixth item is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, this is the only offensive weapon in our entire arsenal. Every other weapon is defensive. Defensive. You got the breastplate, defensive. You got the helmet, defensive. The shield, defensive. The shoes, defensive. The belt, defensive. The only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit. This word sword, it says here, which is the word of God. The word word is the Greek word rhema, which means utterance or spoken word. Meaning your Bible sitting on the coffee table is not powerful enough To defeat the enemy. Just because you hold up a Bible to someone's forehead, it will not do anything. You can plead the blood and lift up the Bible and do whatever you want. But if you don't have the word, not only in your heart, but in your mouth, it won't do you any good. Paul said it. He said that this is the word of faith faith which we speak. That is the word of God in our heart and in our mouth that Jesus is Lord. You need to have the Word of God not just on the Bible pages, but coming out of your mouth. That is what delivers us, not just reading it and seeing it and, and, oh, that was a good message. That was a good scripture. It's speaking it. It's uttering what the Word says. That is what the power is in. Amen? You see, the sword of the Spirit is the same sword that Jesus used to defeat the devil in the wilderness. Every time he was tempted, it is written, he would say. Every, all three times, Jesus says, it is written. How come Jesus didn't make up something else? He is Jesus, He's God. Let's just make up something, God. You have the power to do that. No, he went back to the Word because that's the most powerful source that he could have used. The most powerful source. Jesus could have said something new and and it would have been written and recorded for scripture for us to read forever. I mean, that's all that the gospel is, just his words, new words, but he defaulted back to the one thing that's the most powerful thing, the written word. The written word becoming the spoken word. Those two combinations together will, will give you enough power and enough energy to go charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. You <laughs> won't get that far because you've just got a water pistol, but you'd have the courage to go. But the, the written word and the spoken word combined together, then the devil's afraid of you. That's right. even, even the written word and reading it, even then you're still a little vulnerable. That's why I have you say things when I preach, to, to get you to say it. When you say, studies have shown, if you want to look it up, that when you say things and repeat things, when things are repeatable, it, you remember them more. It sticks with you more. But the word of God, the, the, the written and the spoken word of God, the rhema, utterance, spoken word, is so powerful. And it is the only offensive weapon that we need you know the bible it says that the word of god is quick sharper than any two-edged sword piercing the the dividing between the soul and the spirit separating between the soul and the spirit like the joints and, and bone marrow it is so sharp it's sharper than a scapel a surgeon's scapel so sharp. And that same sword is the sword that Jesus is going to be coming back down. He's going to be coming back down, ascending down to take us back. And the Bible says a sword will be coming out of his mouth. He's talking about the word of God. What is he going to be doing when he's coming back? All he's going to be doing is proclaiming the word of God. Friends, look, this isn't just for for now. This isn't, there's my Bible reading plan. This isn't just for right now. Friends, the the, the word says the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. In other words, even after the end of the age. What do you think we're going to be doing when we all get to heaven? Studying the word. It lasts forever. It doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just end once we get to heaven. There is no end to this. Revelation is not the end of the book. Praise God. One of the reasons why I believe that the angels in heaven sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty over and over again is because every time that those angels walk around the throne of God, once they get around him and they see his face again, they just have to say holy, holy, holy all over again because they see a new side of him that they've never seen before. Some people think, well, how are they going to sing holy, holy, holy forever because God's always showing us something new? God will always be showing us a different part of him when we get to heaven. It is a new, there's a freshness about the Lord every single time that we get into his word. We get to see a new side of God every time. The word of God is the only weapon you need to fight your battles. The only weapon. You don't need anything else. All you need is the word of God to fight your battles. In verse 18, here's the last piece of armor, number seven, praying always with all prayers and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So the last and seventh item is prayer. If you go out there in that battlefield and you miss prayer, you're in for a, a, a pretty hard time. You know, prayer is more than just asking God uh, about things. Prayer is more than just asking God for things. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is getting to know him. In fact, when prayer is done correctly, Paul writes in Philippians, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things. Someone say all things. 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 With prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So he says with prayer and supplication, just like he does here. Some people use prayer as supplication, but that's not it. Prayer simply means to praise God. Say, Lord, I just thank you today. Lord, I, I give you the glory. I praise you today for all that you've done for me for all the things you've protected me from. Lord, yesterday you you sent this man that gave me $100. I praise you for that. Lord, last week, my children, they behaved so well at school. I praise you for that. Lord, last year, I remember when we were going through financial trouble, our car broke down and this happened, and all of a sudden you sent these people and they helped us get by. I praise you for that, Lord. That's prayer. That's prayer. And by the time you get to supplication, which is the asking, which is the request, say, Lord, I praised you so much. This is nothing. Lord, you've done this for me in the past. What this that I'm about to ask is nothing compared to what you've done before. That's true prayer. It's not just, Lord, I come here today before thee and thou knows that ye must do this, and I pray that you do this in my life. That's not prayer. That's vain repetition. Prayer is such an important aspect to the Christian life. And Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Do you pray always or do you pray in the morning and at night? One practice that I, I've I made a point to do in my life over the, the past years is to pray always. And what does that look like? I mean, it might be different for you, but for me, it's getting in the car and driving down the road and looking at the clouds going, man, I can't believe you've done that. I can't believe the clouds are in the sky, Lord. That's just so amazing. God, look at this weather. Only you could have done this. Man, Lord, the trees that are planted today, how you've done it, I have no idea. That's my prayer, Always. Looking at God, looking at his creation, looking at what he does, looking at my, my almost year old son. Lord, I just thank you for him. Thank you, Lord. You don't have to get fancy with your prayers. You don't have to be well-speeched with your prayers. And I, I talked to someone a while ago. He asked me, how do, you, how do I pray? I don't, I don't know how to pray. It's like, what do you mean you don't know how to pray? He's like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Talk to God like you're talking to me. God, God's not going to hold you accountable for not knowing what to say. Just talk to him. Lord, here I am. just want to thank you. just want to talk to you today and ask you how you're doing. You know how I'm doing, so I'm not going to even tell you about that. God knows everything. He knows what you're going through. He, he hears you. It's easy. It's just easy to pray with him. God makes it easy. How many of you have a friend that's hard to talk to? I have a couple. And it's, it's, a, it's hard to talk to them sometimes. God's not like that. He makes it so easy. Anything you need, just go to Him. Amen. Will you do that this week? Will you just go to Him? Will you just talk to Him? After you've gotten dressed, after you put your helmet on, you put your breastplate on, you put your belt on, you put your shoes on, you put your shield on, and you got your sword, after all that stuff is said and done, will you just talk to Him? I mean, after all, What good is all that armor if you don't talk to the commander about what to do? What good is all that that stuff you've just put on if you don't even go see the commander about the strategy that you're supposed to go do? Go talk to him. All right, Lord, I'm dressed today. I'm aware of these things. Now, the question is, how do we even put all this stuff on? Right, we read it. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Last time I checked, my closet ain't got no helmets in it. How do I go put on a hel- How do I put on the breastplate? How do I put on the belt of truth? What do I do? How do I do those things? Well, I'll give you an easy exercise. And if you want to do it, you can. Go home. Write down these seven things and what they mean. Go back and listen to this message so you can write down what they mean. Write them down on a piece of paper. And every day that you read your daily Bible reading plan, look at that piece of paper. And I want you to find scripture and and something in the Bible that relates to each of those pieces of armor. Read them, put them in your heart, and then go about your day. Around 12 o'clock noon, set a timer. Go back to that note. Am I I remembering these things? Am I keeping these things in the forefront of my mind? If not, go back and read it again. Do this frequently. Remember what each of these things are and put them in your heart and you'll be dressed. Put them in your heart. Amen? And See, Paul here, was, he was talking about prayer, but more specifically, I want to add this too before we get closed. He was talking about, says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. See, it refers to praying directed by the Spirit, praying directed by what the Holy Spirit wants you to pray. How do you do that? Well, Paul tells us it's by praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Paul used praying in tongues. He used this terminology, praying in the Spirit, whenever he would talk about praying in tongues. And when you pray in tongues, the Bible says that your spirit, it's praying for you, for you don't know what to pray for. It's praying for you because you don't know what to pray for. Has any any of you ever had one of those days, one of those years, where you just said, Lord, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know what to pray for today. Anybody? That's what the Holy Spirit's there for. You don't need to pray. Let the Holy Spirit pray for you. The Holy Spirit is our interceder, our intercessor. It prays on our behalf. Tells the Lord things that we don't even know we need. Praise the Lord. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says it this way. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weakness when we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. With groanings that cannot be uttered. When we pray in the Spirit, It's not us praying. It's the Holy Spirit praying through us. So what does that look like for the Holy Spirit to groan? Well, in John chapter 11, we get a pretty clear picture of it. John chapter 11, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, talking about Mary, Mary's brother Lazarus just died. Well, not just, a couple of days late because Jesus delayed himself. He came to the tomb and he saw Mary weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. See, people think that Jesus was groaned, like he was stressed. No, that's not what that means. Jesus didn't just sit there and just, ugh, that's not what it means either. Groaning in the spirit is a form of praying in the spirit. For he was troubled. Jesus, almighty God, humbling himself, To experience human feelings he chose to be troubled you know that when he sees his daughter mary crying weeping because she just lost her son her her brother lazarus jesus wasn't sad jesus wasn't troubled because oh man another one died what are we gonna do that's not what he was doing like most people he was troubled and the and a couple verses later the shortest verse in scripture he wept Jesus wept, not because he was sad that Lazarus was dead. He was troubled with how this world and how his creation has fallen into the hands of the devil. That's what he was sad for. That's what he wept for. But how good of a God do we serve for him to humble himself down to a man to experience the heartbreak we experience? He's so good. So when you don't know what to pray for, you pray in the Spirit. The Spirit praying, the Holy Spirit praying is doing the battling for us when we don't know how to pray. Amen? So every single piece of armor is needed for us to see total victory from the devil in this life. We can't just walk around with the sword of the Spirit but have no helmet of salvation. We can't have a bunch of people running around naked and just having having a helmet on we need a bunch of christians that have the whole armor of god on from head to toe being in the word daily getting these things in your heart understanding what god's word says what he has for you only then is when you will be able to withstand every single fiery dart that the enemy tries to throw your way you don't need anything else notice one more thing Did you read any piece of equipment that protects your backside? You wanna know why that is? Because Christians should never be running away from the enemy. We don't need our backside protected from when we retreat. We should always be on the attack, always. Not waiting around for the devil to afflict us. We should be the ones that are always on the attack. Every single time. The devil tries to take some ground, some, some ground in your boundary. Nope, not today. I'm on the attack. Never let the devil catch you on your heels. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you stand this morning as we get dismissed. Thank you, Jesus.